Our scripture reading this morning is Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. Indeed, thanks be to God. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Wes. I'm one of the pastors here at the Panadin Door. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Romans over the past couple of months, and we're continuing on this week in Romans chapter 8. Uh, Jamie, that is my wife, for any of you who don't know, uh, Jamie has in the past, she's challenged me actually to try manuscripting a sermon. Um, so this morning, actually, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and onto the page. Um, so it should be interesting. Maybe. Uh, as I mentioned, we've been working through Romans, and as I've prepared this message, uh, it's come to my mind that, that sermons often get lost from week to week. Um, and in, in some ways, that's okay, because we gather on Sundays in part to sit under the Word of God to be washed over in his love through the proclamation of his goodness. And that washing, that reminder, that rest is meant to nourish us in the moment. And while this proclamation maybe reverberates through our week, we often on the whole don't recall last week's instruction today. So it seems fitting to look back across the last few chapters and remember where we've come from. So here goes. Our justification has been accomplished apart from us, and comes to us through faith. In Adam we die, in Christ we are made alive. Through faith we are now under the reign of Christ. Further, we're dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Jesus has disarmed the power of sin, and so it shall no longer be our master. Instead, he's made us slaves to righteousness. Two weeks ago, Mark taught from chapter 7 that we are dead to the law, and that the law and sin war within us. Who will deliver us from these bodies of death? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here we are, launching into life in the Spirit, in chapter 8. And this week we're going to continue exploring that. We're going to look at repentance. Repentance as adopted sons and daughters of God and therefore heirs with Christ. Uh, and so now, this week, starting in Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. First, the debtor's part. Paul starts off this section by saying that we are debtors, or we are people of an obligation. Here's the thinking. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. 
Or as Paul says elsewhere, we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but the life we live in the body, we live to Christ. This reality that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God makes us debtors. A debtor is someone that has something, but someone else lays claim to it. For example, if I buy a house and I go to a bank for a loan so I can pay for the house, well, the house is mine, but I have a debt with the bank, so the bank has a claim on my house. And so it is with the Christian. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. So we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Brothers and sisters, we don't own ourselves. That means we don't have a right to our bodies, to live according to the impulses and the desires of our bodies. Because if we live by the impulses and the wants of our bodies, we'll waste away in full affliction. It's the kind of affliction that drains our mental and our emotional, our physical vitality. But if we let the peace of Christ rule in us, we taste life. The invigorating life that Jesus said he came to bring us. Life that's abundant and full. We're being called to repent here, to mortify our flesh. Paul implores, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. So what does this mean for us? To, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of our body so that we will live. There's two aspects of the Christian life here that I want to explore as it relates to repentance. The first is the now but not yet nature of life in Christ, and the second is the allegiance aspect. Two weeks ago in chapter 7, Mark introduced us to the new Lenten season that was beginning on Ash Wednesday that week, and he described Lent as a time that we go down into the ashes to remember that we are dust that the suffering and death in this world are real, even though everything in us strains to avoid it. He described a false living that results when we try to escape what's true, that our flesh is wasting away. He described, in a, he described living in a false reality as a forfeiture of the human soul. Repentance in our now but not yet experience of salvation is like that. That's what I mean. The now-but-not-yet nature of the Christian journey is a result of the timeline of salvation. How does an infinite God who rules from on high outside of time and space meet people where they are within time and space? Well, he sends himself. He sends himself in a real person, his son, Jesus. We have been united with Christ, and that reality transcends time and space. So we can say that our position before God as pure and holy, that our righteousness is secure in Christ, and Christ is seated at God's right hand, so that no matter where God may look, he cannot come to me and say, Wes, where is your righteousness? But it is at his very right hand. However, each of us practically has not completely realized this position yet. Or as the preacher in Hebrew says, says, For by a single sacrifice, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Paul here calls us to a life of repentance, 
of mortifying the deeds of our bodies by the Spirit, because to live any other way would be a rejection of what's already true about ourselves. It would be living in a false reality. Instead, Paul says, put to death. One can draw a straight line from this charge back to Romans 6, where Paul implores, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Why? Because you've been brought from death to life. Sin will have no dominion over you. To put to death the deeds of the body is to acknowledge who has the power in your life. The Spirit of God has the power. Sin has no dominion over us. Paul says this in his second letter. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Christians, we must never think of ourselves as sinners any longer, for sin has been dethroned, and it no longer has the ability to define us as sinners. We may still sin in the verb sense of the word, but we must not think of ourselves as sinners in the noun sense of the word. To do so would be to live in a false reality, a forfeiture of the human soul. Here's what's true. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been crucified with Christ, and we no longer live. But Christ lives in us. We are sinners no more. We are dead to sin. We've been sanctified in Christ. We've been adopted as children of God. All of these things are true about us. And yet, God has not removed us from our present circumstances. We still sin. We still choose false comforts. We still see through a glass dimly. But we are led by the Spirit of God as sons of God. And so Paul exhorts the Colossians to keep taking off the old self and keep putting on the new self. To do anything else would be living in a false reality, a denial of what's true about us, a forfeiture of our human souls. Which leads us to the second aspect of repentance. The Christian life is about allegiance, not substance. All the substance of our righteousness has been accomplished in and by Christ and is ours as we are united with him in death and life. It is finished. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't import into your repentance a life of doing right things to please God. You cannot possibly please God any more or any less than he already is, except by one means, faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you think the ongoing Christian life of repentance is any different than receiving the finished work of Christ from the hour you first believed? It's not. The Christian life is a fight of faith. It is not a fight of works. It is not figuring out our sin. It is not feeling an emotional charge. It is not learning accurate theology. It is not rule-keeping. It is an ongoing struggle to trust God that who he says you are and what he says about you is true. This is where allegiance comes in. The fight of faith is submission to our new master. Sin will have no dominion over you. Colossians 1.13 He, the Father, he has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. 
That's the language of faith there. We have a new master. Colossians 2.6, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the truth as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. The substance of your life in Christ is accomplished for you. Now the allegiance of your life, trusting him, submitting to him, this fight of faith is our everyday reality. Look, Paul says, put to death the deeds of the flesh by the spirit. This is repentance. It is submitting to Christ in all things. Even when your body desires something else. Even when other people lash out. Even when it's not what you want. The reason we sin in the first place is that we think we're better at being God than God. That's called sin. And that has no dominion over you. And to submit to those desires any longer would be living in a false reality. No, instead Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are led by the Spirit of God, and so we can now submit to Jesus. Repentance is ours. God didn't save us from our dead works to make us better at doing more dead works. He delivered us from our dead works and gave us a new master. If we go back to the verse 1 of this chapter, we hear the triumph of Jesus over sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does anyone here ever still feel like God is disappointed with them? Are you feeling shame because the actions and outcomes of your life aren't what they should be? Do you feel condemned sometimes? Repent. God has declared that you are clean. How dare you argue with him? Well, we dare because we'd rather play God and call the shots. Satan doesn't have the power to condemn you. Only God does. Your fear and your insecurity in life is evidence that your God is weak and powerless to save you. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, brothers and sisters, we are children of God, not slaves. When a slave falls into trouble, does he cry out for his master? Maybe, but probably to curse him out. When a daughter trips and falls, what does she do? She cries out for her dad. She has a dependent expectation that he will be there for her that he cares and is concerned for her. She says, Dad! Dad! Paul paints a picture of a son calling on his dad in a time of need. And it's interesting that he puts this here, smack dab, in the middle of a section on repentance. Right? Paul is exhorting us to mortify our flesh here. Are you in any need of help to carry that out? How many of us fight our sin with sin? We see that we're saved, but we don't want to rely on God to mortify our flesh, 
to experience in our bodies what he has accomplished in his son. So we soldier on. We soldier on fighting our bodies with white knuckles or accountability or reading our Bibles or counseling or medication or stuckness. It's like zombies trying to eat themselves. I don't think I understand zombie theology. (laughs) We are not stuck in our sin. We are not sinners. No, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Brothers and sisters, God gave you his Spirit to declare in your inmost being that you are his. He is your Father who doesn't stand far off and judge you. He's the one who is faithfully here before you, knowing you, caring for you with no condemnation. He is your Father. And even when you avert your eyes away from him, he keeps moving, getting in front of you, again and again, trying to make eye contact with you. Because he loves you, because you are a son, because you are a daughter because he has no greater pleasure than giving you his joy. This standing as adopted children, we did not work our way into, and we cannot fail our way out of. This is what adoption does. It breaks the old authority and instates a new one. Sin has no dominion over you. Jesus is your king. His spirit now lives in you, And he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. All right, last section. Paul goes on to show the implication of our sonship, that we become heirs with Christ. Do you know what heirs get? They get the inheritance. And what is our inheritance? Joy. It's the life of Christ. What does his life look like? It looked like complete submission to the Father. John recalled Jesus saying in John 14, 30, I do the will of the Father so that the world knows that I love him. That meant suffering. When I think of suffering, when I think of the suffering of Christ, I always go to the excruciating physical torment stuff. I think crucifixion. But that's not the suffering of Christ. Well, It is, but it's bigger than that. The suffering of Christ was the life of faith that he lived before his father. Friends, Jesus was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul says in Romans 6 he was weak. We need to see this. Jesus didn't wear a cape when he walked among us. He had to learn his multiplication tables. He didn't understand what fractions were the first time around. He got hungry before it was time to eat. He was tired at the end of his work day, and his parents weren't always patient with him. He had friends that abandoned him. This was the suffering of Jesus. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very form of a servant, he humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus did the will of the Father in heaven. He lived in dependence on him all the way through and so fulfilled the law. In a word, Jesus loved us.
Or put another way, Jesus fulfilled the law by living in dependence on the Father and then gave us a new law, love one another. You cannot do this without faith, without submission to Jesus, without mortifying the deeds of the body. So we come full circle now. The one thing that prevents you from loving people, from loving the people God has put in your life, is your flesh. Brothers and sisters, we don't own ourselves. You don't have a right to your body any longer to live according to the impulses and desires of your body, your flesh, yourself. Friends, love is costly. It can't be fabricated by human means. It can't be contrived with good theology. Love does not result from self-satisfaction or self-fulfillment. Love is the mortification of our flesh. Our fight of faith, submission to Christ, takes us straight into the suffering of Christ. Friends, I know no better place for us, even though I often run from it myself. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God lives in you. He reigns in you. He declares to you that Jesus is our brother, our master, our God. You experience him in the fullness of life as you join him in his sufferings, loving one another. So, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you as sons and daughters. I pray that you would breathe this life into us as a church, into me, into the leaders here, into all of us in this expression of your son's body. Teach us your ways and show us your paths. Guide us in your truth. Lord Jesus, we recognize that these are fighting words that our flesh does not want to bow to your reign. And yet, you came to give us joy. You came to give us the good life. So I ask that you would disarm us. That you would show us your kindness and that we would not hold back. I pray this for myself. I pray this for my brothers and sisters here. And ask that you would lead us kindly and gently in your paths of righteousness. That you would lead us in repentance that you would put to death the deeds of our bodies. And may we rejoice in you. May we know that we lack no good thing. 
In Jesus' name, amen.